morning we're going to continue following our statement of faith, um, which you may have had. Uh, we have got copies of extra copies of statement of faith if you want it. Um, mine's getting a bit battered and bruised because it's in and out of my um, bag quite a lot. But we're going to continue following our statement of faith, and we're particularly going to be looking this morning at, at Jesus again. We're still in the section where it talks about the Lord Jesus. But before we get into my preach, I want you to sit back. I want you to enjoy one of the films that I really enjoy. It's one of those films I've watched many, many times. It's a, it's a short five-minute clip, and then we're going to get into our preach. Is that okay? This is, this is Apollo 13. Remember Apollo 13? They go to space. Nobody's really watching. And then you get that famous phrase, Houston, we have a problem. Okay, and so this is the result of that problem. And so we're going to watch this little excerpt, and hopefully during the preach it will all make sense. Hopefully. Okay? Okay. So what has that got to do with our statement of faith, you ask? Well, hopefully, as I said, the, the, the dots will all join together in a minute. So in our statement of faith, we have these words. On the cross he died in the place of sinners... Bearing God's punishment for their sin, redeeming them by his blood. And salvation, when we think about it, has so many different aspects. So many different ways of looking at the theme of salvation, what God's done for us. And we're going to have two bites of this cherry. Uh, my preach this morning, then Chris is going to be talking, again on the same statement, but in a different perspective on substitutional sacrifice. But this morning, uh, we're going to be focusing on one area. And I want to recommend two books to you. I want to recommend... A Christ Our Life by Michael Reeve. And if you've not read uh, The Good God, which is his first book, please do so. But this is the second book, Christ Our Life. And the other book I want to recommend is John Stott, which is now ancient old, uh, but is still one of the best books on the cross of Christ. And if you want to be really blessed, both those books will bless you in different ways. But this morning, we're going to be focusing on uh, the, a big word, propitiation. Um, and it's not a word that's regularly used in the Bible. It's actually only used four times, and all of them in the New Testament. And we read this morning, we are justified by his gift of grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And I'm going to focus on the word propitiation. Okay, if you can spell it after the, afterward, you can have a chocolate. Okay. <laughs> Hebrews 2.17 says this, so, so that he, Jesus, might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And then John used it twice in his first letter, 2 verse 2, he is the propitiation of our sins, not just for ours, but, only, but also for for the sins of the whole world. And 1 John 4.10, in this love, not that we, in, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now I'm using the ESV text, and I'm going to divert for a second. By the way, when the kids come back in, they'll just join us, don't worry. Um, they'll just join us, and that's fine. But I'm going to take a small diversion uh, into translations, because I'm using the ESV translation. Um, 
And the only other translation that uses this word propitiation um, is few and far between. The NIV, if you're reading the NIV, you'll read the word atonement. If you're using the Good News Bible, uh, you'll read the word forgiven. In the King James Version, it's reconciliation. In the Living Bible, it's merciful or dealing with. In the Revised Standard Version, it's word expiation, which means to make amends or atonement. But none of those translations quite capture this word propitiation. If you're going to be accurate in the Greek to English, propitiation is the word. Other translations use other words to try and explain what is a word that we don't use very, very often at all. So I'm going to try and make this relatively simple for me. Okay? So I want you to look at this picture. This is the Ark of the Covenant, which would sit in the Holy of Holies in the, test, in the Old Testament as they moved around, the one which Indiana Jones has spent a long time trying to find. Okay, and this is made of gold, and if, if you can't make it out, but there's, there's two poles, there's a box, then the angels covering it with their wings. In the box, okay, is where the Ten Commandments sat. And wherever they went, that would go in front of them, the law in front of them. When they put the, uh, the ta uh, tabernacle up, it would go into the Holy of Holies and it would sit there. Um, no man was allowed to touch it. No man was allowed to be near it. Um, you'll read stories about it in the Old Testament. So this place is also called the mercy seat. Okay? It's... Uh, a place, as I said, where the law sits. When the high priest comes into the Holy of Holies, he goes into the Holy of Holies and in the box, in this golden box, is the law. Never changing. Always constant. Everything in there. It's the law against which every man and woman of Israel was going to be judged against. So whether they kept the Ten Commandments or not, in this box was the Ten Commandments and you would be judged against it, full stop. It's the place where God sat with his presence for the people. God chose to inhabit the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant was meant to be the place of presence where God is. It's the place of atonement. Once a year, the high priest would walk in and hopefully walk out again. Anyway, if you've had the story about the pomegranates, uh, the bells, it's not true, but there we go. Here's the priest goes in and he goes to the, he goes to the ark. The people's sins is judged against what's in the law and then he kills a sacrificial animal and spreads blood to atone for the sins of the people. It was not a pleasant sight. So it's a place of atonement where the high priest makes a sacrifice so that the people can be at one with God again at one moment. And as I've just said, it's a place of blood sacrifice. 
It's the place where, it was the only place where the people's sins could be atoned for forever and God's condemnation could be covered and taken away by blood. Okay? Are you all ready for your Sunday roast now? Okay? So, this mercy seat is really important to the people of Israel. And I, I can still see in your eyes, what's the spaceship got to do with what I'm talking about? Hang in, it's, it's coming. Because we're going to be talking primarily, first of all, about the wrath of God. Now, we spend a lot of time talking about the love of God, and that's right and proper. We talk about the grace of God and his mercy. It's right and proper. This morning, we're going to get a good old dose of Old Testament wrath. Okay, and I hope you enjoy it. Are you ready for your Sunday lunch yet? So God's wrath in the Old Testament is much more than anger. Okay, it's an action that takes place. It's not just emotion, but it's a decision. It's a wrath. It's, it's full of intensity. It's a deep sense of molten anger. Think of a volcano exploding. Not you telling your child off because they've not eaten their dinner. It, think of this big volcano suddenly exploding everywhere. It's against, God's wrath is against wickedness and sin. And it's molten. And it's frightening. In fact, in the New Testament, we're told, Jesus says, that when God's wrath is revealed, you will wish that you were... So I, liked, I liked caving when I was younger. I know that with this body, I can't go caving anymore. I can't get through the gaps. I used to love caving, but the thought of this mountain in the, in, or hill above me with thousands of tons of rock, the potential for survival, and that's what lit my fuse, really. But in, Jesus says, when the wrath of God comes, you will wish that you were in a deep cave and the, the stones would fall on you so that you could escape his punishment. That's how seriously Jesus takes the wrath of God. And yet we water it down as an Old Testament, God's God of wrath in the Old Testament. Um, and it's poured out on the Old Testament people because uh, God is a God of love and we live in the New Testament period. Okay? Well, let's read some texts. We're going to start in the, in the Old Testament. Exodus, I've put the text there, you can look them up later, but Exodus 32.10 says this, Now therefore let me alone that my, this is God speaking, now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I, that I may consume them all. This is God speaking to Moses about his people. That's heavy stuff. Psalm 2, verse 4. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath, and terrify them in his fury, saying... As for me, I have set my kings on Zion, my holy hill. God's wrath burns against the nations and terrifies them with his fury. And Nahum 1 verse 2, 
The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avengeful, uh, avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, but he will by no means clear the guilty. I could give you hundreds of texts out of the Old Testament. It's just three. So we live, as I said, well, we live in the New Testament, God of love, God of mercy. Well, let's see what the New Testament has to say. Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by, that, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God's wrath is still stored up for the unrighteous and the ungodly. Ephesians 2 verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Before I became a Christian, I was by nature a child of wrath. Just by the very fact, just like I was born in Yorkshire, and I'm a proud Yorkshireman, that's where God comes from. <laughs> just, just because I, as I couldn't change my Yorkshireness, I cannot change the fact that I am born as a child of wrath by nature. There's a time coming, the New Testament tells us, when it talks about the day to come, the wrath to come, when the children of wrath will see what it's like to be in God's anger. And then 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10 talks about, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath which is to come. Jesus, one of Jesus' purposes in coming to die for us as sinners is to deliver us from the wrath which is to come. Now, we can spend a lot of time talking about God's love and God's mercy and God's grace, but if we do not understand the depths to which we have been condemned and are guilty and are children of wrath, we will never understand the greatness of his love and his mercy and his grace in our lives. I think I've said to you before, when I, when I was younger, I, when I became a Christian, I came under a gospel which essentially went along the lines of, come to Jesus and everything will be all right. Okay? That's kind of the gospel that would have been preached. Or at least that's the way I received it. But the gospel's so much more than that. And God's grace and mercy and kindness is so much more than that. Because my sin was so much more than that. Coming to Jesus and it's going to be alright isn't the answer. We need to know the wretchedness of sin. Because it is wretched. We need to know that the dirt and the 
filth and the weight of sin, because that's what it is. When we sin, we are, we are angering God in such a way that his wrath is being stored up for a time when it will be poured out. Do you feel kind of encouraged this morning? And the depths of our sin separates us from God the Father. Totally. And yet, John says, for God's soul of the world that he sent his son. Even in the depths of our sin and our wretchedness and the dirt and the filth and the mess, God sends his son to die for us. Job says this, Oh, that you would hide me in shale, that you would conceal me until your wrath be past, that you would appoint for me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, can he live again? What he's saying is, if God's wrath consumes me, will I yet see God in my flesh? That's the bad news. The good news is this. Jesus is our propitiation. And you're going to go, whoopee! That's great. What does that mean? Well, let's go back to the film. Ah, the film. In that film, they've got a problem. Their heat shield has failed. And they've got to get back through Earth's entry, through the atmosphere, and they've got to come through Earth's atmosphere to get to uh, the point where they can escape from the atmosphere. That heat shield was everything. Without it, they're going to get consumed. Utterly consumed. There's no way out of it. Okay? Three minutes, and that's it, finished, gone. Those, that heat shield is, has a nickname, and the nickname for it is propitiation shield. Because those tiles are designed in such a way that when that spaceship hits the Earth's atmosphere, it takes the heat of the wrath of the atmosphere as it's going through. So it comes out the other side. And provided those three men stay inside that spaceship, and that spaceship stays inside those heat shields, they are safe. Because the wrath is being deflected by the heat shield. The propitiation shield. And in the film, you know, every, every time I watch it, I hope they come through. I've not yet learned that the film's going to be stay the same, but every time... Listen, Jesus is our propitiation. Because we are, as Christians, we are in Christ. And that is so important to understand as Christians, that we are in Christ. When I become a Christian, I step out of my old life and I come into my new life. I put away the things that were in the past and move towards the future. But the most important thing that takes place is that I was 
outside of Christ, and now I am in Christ. My position has changed. Once I was a child of wrath, I accept Jesus, and now I am a child of God the Father who loves me and cares for me and everything else. Once I was making the choice to bear the punishment myself. That's what being outside of Christ means. I'll take the punishment. I'll take the blame. I'll pay for my sins. But when I become a Christian, that all changes because Jesus takes the punishment for my sins and I'm in Christ. Are we getting that? Do I need to label that anymore? Do I need to push it? We are in Christ. If you are a Christian this morning, that is your position. Legally, fully, totally, full stop, done, finished. Doesn't change. Even when I'm stupid and sin, I'm still in Christ. My position hasn't changed. My stupidity's kicked in, but my position hasn't changed. I'm still in Christ. And if we, are, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. My, I don't step out of... I don't go, oh, uh, today I fancy a bit of sin, so I'll just jump back to my own life and do a bit. I'm outside of Christ. Get back in again. No, I stay in Christ. It's done forever. Let's look at 2 Corinthians. For our sake... He made Jesus, him, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That positional change has done something amazing. Because Jesus steps over and he takes my sin. He was pure and clean and perfect. When he goes to the cross, he takes my sin and puts it on him. That's what it says. He made him to be sin. So that in him, I might become the righteousness of God. Are you getting it? Because Jesus is our propitiation. He, because we're in him, when God's wrath is revealed, and powerfully this, this molten anger and vengeance is set on its path, because I'm in Christ, Jesus takes the heat for my sins. He shields me from God's wrath. And he takes it all on the cross. The cross is the point of God's consummate wrath. And he pours it out on this, this broken body this man who knew no sin becomes sin for me and he's, he's on a cross. And God pours out his wrath all over him. And he says, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's wrath poured out. Jesus taking that wrath on my behalf, shielding me because not only am I in Christ now, but on the cross he's already got me in his heart. And I'm already there. 
He already has decided. It's, I'm already in Christ. By such a, a, an amazing theological miracle, God puts us in Christ on the cross and he takes my wrath and he shields me from it. And he says, not just taking it, but now you are righteous in me. God's righteousness revealed on the cross is now my righteousness so that I might become the righteousness of God. It is amazing. It is utterly amazing. He pays the tab for me. He takes the pain. He takes the wrath. And he says, you're in me. And you're righteous. This is the depth of the gospel. That's why come to Jesus and everything is going to be alright is not good enough. Because I need to understand what it is that takes place on the cross so that I can understand just how much God's mercy and grace applies to me. It is incredible. It's beyond imagination. It's beyond the way that I can think about it. All I know is it's by grace alone. It is incredible. To be honest, sometimes it's unbelievable. When I think of my stupidity and the things I get up to, I think it's almost unbelievable. And that's the beauty of the gospel. So when we talk about how on the cross he died in the place of sinners, bearing God's punishment for their sin and redeeming them by their blood. Think about Apollo 13. Think about a heat shield taking all that heat to protect those three guys. And then remember that you're in Christ. So, what does that all mean? Well, God's salvation plan and forgiveness and wrath are all part of the same story and they can't be separated out. Secondly, you, I, we have a hiding place. What does it say in Proverbs? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are saved. When you're in your circumstances, when you're struggling with life, when you're struggling with relationships, when you're struggling with your relationship with your Heavenly Father, we have got a hiding place. And we can run to it. No matter what we've done or said or thought, no matter how we've been or how we've behaved, we are in Christ. He is my hiding place. And because of that, I have reconciliation with the Father. I have atonement with the Father, at one moment with him. We know then, all sin is punished through death, and the cross is the ultimate place of wrath, but the beautiful side of that is that repentance brings forgiveness and mercy and grace. 
It's an amazing story. We're by nature children of wrath, as I said, but now we're children of our Father. And how do I know that? Because God puts his Holy Spirit in me as a seal to cry out, Abba, Father. I don't know what he wants to change me to become, but on a day-to-day basis, I know he's changing me. That Holy Spirit working in me, bringing conviction, doesn't bring condemnation anymore. I used to be under condemnation. Now I'm convicted of my sins. That means I've got an opportunity to put it right through repentance and through changing my behavior. The Holy Spirit in me makes me more and more like Jesus so that that righteousness that I've become in my spirit starts to work its way out in my life day by day, becoming more righteous. Day by day, becoming more like Jesus. He convicts us of sin and he leads us to truth. What it say in Romans 8? It says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Finally, in the law, on the mercy seat, the people lived and died by the Ten Commandments. They were judged by it and blood was spilt over it. And on the cross, the law is fulfilled forever. We're no longer condemned through the law, but blood was spilt over it. Blood on the cross was spilt over the mercy seat. And now we live by the law of the Spirit in freedom. We're no longer slaves to sin, we're slaves to righteousness. We no longer live by the law of the flesh, we now live by the law of the Spirit. Our lives have irrevocably, if you can spell that, you can have some chocolate afterwards, irrevocably changed forever. Okay. Is that, is that okay? No questions. That's brilliant. Are you all a bit stunned? Here's the different things that the, the um, aircraft, uh, spaceship that some of the children did. I just want you to capture. We're going to sing now and we're going to respond to God unless anybody has got any questions. We're going to respond to God through worship because the only response I can take for, I can give where Jesus taken the complete wrath of God on himself for me so that I can become righteous. The only thing I can do is to worship. So let's stand. Let's love Jesus. And this is not just a, a song to close with. This, I, I really want you to respond in your hearts to what God's done for you.